Welcome to the Blue Collar Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Brewster. So excited to have you guys with us today. Today, we are interviewing Levi Lesko, senior pastor, leader, creative, author, phenomenal dude, um, leads Fresh Life Church. You guys all know who he is, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into the conversation with Pastor Levi Lesko. Thanks for taking the time. It means a lot. Oh, for sure. For sure. Oh, man. Glad to be on. um, We got to meet, you came to Crosspoint when I was serving at Crosspoint Church uh, and did a staff talk for our team. And then um, we've got to share a couple green rooms from time to time at different conferences, but first time we've had a chance to really chat. So thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on. It's a podcast, right? Yeah, it'll be not podcast. It's audio only. So um, totally relaxed. But, um, I took a shower for nothing today. <laughs> you and I both. Um, so I'll, I'll start us off with just a couple of fun, quick things just to kind of loosen up. And then we'll uh, jump into some, some other questions. But um, what is your favorite style of music? What's the kind of music that you go to? So if I'm just chilling at the house with the family, it's always jazz. Okay. I like that. If I feel jazz on the background, just kind of like Miles Davis or kind of John Coltrane, something like that. Chill. And then if I'm, uh, if I'm writing, I tend to put on a classical. Okay. And then if I'm just driving in the car, usually some sort of interview. So no music yeah. at all. No yeah. music at all. Yeah. Um, guilty pleasure song. Ooh, uh, beach boys, you know, be- is Beatles, something yeah. like that. All like right. Just, I mean, I guess this, Guilty pleasure is a hard way to put it, but yeah. Beach Boys is definitely more guilty pleasure than the Beatles. For sure. Yeah, Beatles is like, if, if you're a music person, you respect that. But I'm, I, right. I mean, it's hard to really think Yellow Submarine is like a really profound song, but yeah. For sure. And then kids change all of that dynamic, right? Because then you end up listening to stuff you never thought you'd listen to. Yes. Kids. Although my kid, like my three-year-old loves Justin Bieber. He has pretty good taste in music most of the time, so... Definitely. We'll be ready for that record in March for sure. Yeah, so, there you go. Last goofy question, but most important book you've read in the last year? Well, I'm reading through, and it's not done yet, but I'm reading through The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Scazzaro, and that is fantastic. I think that's a really great book. It's been really, really good. Yeah, so. I, love, I, love that. I love that book for sure. It's one of, one of my favorites too. So uh, Fresh Life is amazing, an amazing church, massively influencing the world. You were, you grew up in the in the home of a pastor. When did you feel the call to go into ministry and 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 make that like the future of your life? When I was two years old, I started telling people that, and I don't remember this personally, but I right. I remember my parents told me that when I was two, I started saying I was going to be a pastor. And aside from a very short period of time where I was interested in baking, uh, I think oh. like when I was like five, I said I was going to be a baker. That's really the only job I've ever wanted or had. I mean, I had little jobs here and there, but I always kind of had in my head that I was going to be a pastor. That's amazing. I love that. And I still um, don't, I don't bake at all. So, you know, no, no more, no more, no more like cake pops or anything. No cake pops. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the pathway for you? Because a lot of folks like us grew up in, in ministry and we grew up around ministry, what, what was the pathway to becoming a senior pastor? Was it always senior pastor or was it like, were there other ideas? No, I mean, I kind of always thought church planning was eventually going to happen, but my first entrance into ministry was youth ministry. And I was content staying there as long as God had me. I had no, you know, grand plan. Like there's 
you know, totem pole or a steps, step stones. You know, I just, I really loved youth ministry and I would have been content to stay there, but my senior pastor and different pastors started presenting me with other opportunities to serve. Like they asked, Hey, can you also start having a hand in creative or can you also, Hey, when I'm out of town, can you teach? And so it was almost like, I, I, it started being thrust upon me more so than anything I really sought, but I was content to stay in youth ministry. I, I used to always say, I'll do this, you know, as long as God loves me. And, and I, I still love youth ministry. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's been really fun to watch Fresh Life and to just watch how attractive and irresistible people find Fresh Life. Is that something that you learned early on in ministry of creating a culture where, where that was established? Or is that something that you had to learn and kind of grow into? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think if you're doing a good job teaching like Jesus did, it's going to be attractional. You know, he tended to get a crowd, but then he also developed and discipled people too. So it's not like one or the other, but I think um, we set out, I remember at the beginning to open a church that won't feel like your grandma's church, but that she's welcome to come to. So we never wanted to exclude, you know, anybody. Right. Uh, unnecessarily, but we also really wanted to reframe the conversation in a way that is free of the unnecessary trappings that religious people tend to get comfortable with, which is really right. honestly just being a very selfish fish, if you think about it. Like right. a fish that gets caught loves the taste of the bait that, that got them in the boat but you always have to change the bait to catch new fish. And that should always be about the, the next generation. And so I think what are, you know, with hymns or with the way a building is or a way a service is set up, that's all, that's all, you know, essentially the taste of the bait that was how it tasted the day you got saved. Right. That's, that's so good. And so true. How do you keep that fresh? Church is like an interesting dynamic, right? Because Broadway, we do, we do Hamilton we do it really, really good once. And then we just duplicate that for like yeah, five wow. years. Right. When we do church, we have to do it really good, like 58 times a year. How do you guys keep that fresh? At, yeah, that's at, a at good question. Church? Well, I think you always want to have a hand, you know, on, on what culture, a finger on the pulse of culture, you know, where people are at, what's going on, what's the conversation. You know, I can't tell you how many times, like, like for me, throwing out a, a reference to a movie, like if I'm preaching on Easter and it's like, you know, Thanos snaps his fingers and everyone turns to dust, you know, but making a reference to that in a message, like th those little throw out things, it seems like they connect more than you, you even really think they will, mm -hmm. uh, where it just, it feels like people uh, sense that, but Paul did that. Jesus did that. The references to farming, that was contextualization same with paul quoting the the cretans or talking about the statue to the unknown god i think when we are taking the message that's timeless and we're wrapping it up in in in, in something that's actually going to make sense to the people who are listening i think it naturally happens and i think the musical style all of that should represent what's what's happening in the moment that's that's awesome that's really really awesome so i i heard you on another interview talk about knowing the right time to end a season. I think so often in, in ministry, we find something that works and we ride it until like it's way too late to ride it. I think part of that's staying fresh. How do you know and how have you taught your team to start identifying when it's time to, to end something that may be coming up on the expiration? Yeah, that's huge. Like, so we, we just 
are right now selling our last radio station. We at one point were really feeling like there was traction from owning radio stations. And we, we owned and operated at 1.4 different FM radio stations. And we saw a lot of people coming to know Christ who would hear about us on the radio and, you know, and that was a great season, but then we started to sense that season shifting. And so, you know, it, you, you always want to go out at the top, like Michael Jordan, you know, you don't, you don't want to like ride it till it's at the beach. And it's like, Oh, wow, that wave's gone. You know, you want to know the season coming uh, ahead of time. So I think for us, it was like, Hey, we're, we're getting out of this. We're, we're, we're not going to be owning and operating radio stations. There's this thing called the internet that I think is really going to make it. It's showing a lot of great potential. And, and so, you know, we, we started putting more energy in the short form radio stuff that we do that like K love and air one air. So we're still on, we have a presence on the radio stations. And actually, matter of fact, we sold a couple of radio stations to air one anyway. So we ended up selling them stations that then they are still going to play our little teachings anyway, and then getting behind more podcasting and doing things that are, so I think you just have to, there, there's not a real formula to it, but I think where there's an expectation that everything's a season, everything's a bell curve, yeah. everything. I mean, aside from preaching Jesus and, and baptizing people, everything else is fluid. And if you have that mentality, then there's a sense that um, nothing that we do that's working is necessarily going to work forever. And we always have to remain in a perpetual mindset of adaptation. Man, I hope you guys are enjoying this, this episode. I think it is so interesting to hear great leaders who are at a level that um, a lot of us are really hoping to get to at some point. If you enjoy these kind of conversations, it would mean the world to me if you would right now look at your phone, click the subscribe button, click the share button, share this with a friend, subscribe, leave a comment, rate it, do all the things and help us spread the word about what's happening here on the Blue Collar Creative Podcast. Now let's get back to the interview. When I've been privileged with the opportunity to talk to teams, I always talk about adjusting or being adjusted. Like you're either in one of those positions, you're either in the process of like offensively making adjustments or defensively being adjusted by the rest of the world around you. So it's, that's such a good word. You've created a pretty amazing culture and a creative culture at Fresh Life. Tell me how you've created a culture where creativity is a reflex and not an outcome or a a byproduct. Well, I think your what you value, what you communicate, what your reward is always going to be, you know, what you're going to get. And so for us, the language we've, we've used is, and we borrowed this from, from the Passion Church, Louis Church, and that is that we design everything. So nothing's just stocked. Nothing's yeah. just pulled off the shelf. Everything gets catered and custom customized to the, the situation it's for. So every, even a strategy, whether that's for social media or how we approach telling of the Christmas story, nothing just is, well, this is what we did last year and now we've changed the date. It's what are we feeling this time? How do we tell the story? Everything gets designed, whether that's a room and how it's set up and how the service is ordered or how an advertising campaign is going to be for, you know, this new series that we're launching. It's just a mentality that we were created by a creator to create. And so everything that we do, we're going to apply intentionality to it and ask the question, what's best, not just what has been done before. I love that. That's so good. That's so good. And then when you create that culture, like you use a great example there, passions, value of everything is created. How have you thought through applying the, a best practice without it becoming something that starts with Frankenstein, your, your own culture or calling, like taking a best practice and making it personal to, to yourself or to your team? 
Well, I think just, I, I, first of all, it's a great, it's a great thing you just said, not becoming Frankenstein's, but I think it's also intellectually dishonest to only use ideas that came from you. So, you know, when I, when I first heard that communicated by Louis, like that, that put language to something that I've believed for a long time and resonated with for a long time, but at the same time, never had, you know, a, a succinct way to state it. We design everything. But that says so much. So I think a lot of leaders feel like, oh, I, everything I communicate that comes out of my mouth has to either A, come from me. So then we sell ourselves short because it's not the best idea. The, the key is, is what's the best idea? What are we called to? And so then I think you have that tension to manage as well that you don't end up, you know, just becoming a, code, a photocopy of your five favorite influential friends that you know. And so I think you have to, you know, navigate that and and know that there's going to be some things that are uniquely you and there's other things that you're going to be inspired by. And so give credit where credit is due and then run it up the flagpole. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, and I do think so many times, I think we create values that feel aspirational when you connect to somebody else's value and it doesn't feel like you're aspiring to do that. It's just better language for what you've always felt. Yeah. That's, that's not the truth. Um, so thank you for sharing that for sure. What do you think the biggest mistake is that you've created that has helped your leadership? The biggest mistake I've made? Yeah. That's that's, that's, oh, that's become a it's become a pillar for for how you've grown. Wow. Or maybe not the biggest, but maybe one like something that you were like, man, I think this is gonna be amazing. And it failed. And then you guys were like, but we learned this out of it. And because of that, it's propelled us to this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going through my mental category of all my mistakes uh, and trying to decide which DVD to check out. Um, well, I, I asked that question just to make you feel great about yourself. Oh, so, goodness gracious. Yeah. Well, so many of my mistakes, I, I would say as a leader personally, I think come down to times when I've been unnecessarily harsh, unnecessarily rigid, or on the other side of it, you know, been avoided a confrontation out of not wanting to, you know, like that whole never ask a question that you don't want to know the answer to, where you just kind of hope that problems will go away and they don't. And so I think as a result of some of those mistakes, some of the best work I've done personally has been, has centered around my own emotional intelligence as a leader, my own self-awareness, uh, work on my own feelings and working through those things. Uh, you know, anger tends to be a secondary emotion anyway. So figuring out what's beneath the thing that's, that's causing the stuff that's kind of manifesting itself as frustration. And generally speaking, you know, kind of like you see in Breaking Bad, the way Walt treats Jesse is really a reflection of how Walt feels about Walt. And so a lot of times when I'm being cruel or being harsh or being, you know, easily triggered is because there's some things that I'm dealing with on, on the inside that I'm, you know, I'm frustrated about with me and my performance. So I think a lot of those mistakes have led me to doing some work that's hopefully made me a better, humbler, kind leader and a more pleasant person to work with and for. Then on the other side of it, you know, the, the, on the problems with people, because people of course are our greatest asset and source of our greatest frustration too. There has been the establishing of better protocols and procedures around hiring and better work that we've done to hopefully flesh out what is going to create a better backend fresh life employee, better onboarding systems, better, you know, recruiting, better leadership pipeline, more thorough investigation. So my great failures 
have that have necessity ended up being, you know, some of our greatest accomplishments have been, Hey, we learned the hard way that just hiring a warm body creates 10 times the son of, you know, the devil on the back end. And it's not, it's putting them in a position that's untenable and us in one that's going to be full of frustration as well. That's so good. So, so good. This is uh, probably the biggest question that, that I've, that I get to ask who join us on our, on our podcast. And um, it's the one that always seems to resonate most with the people who listen in the, the community that's started to follow along. There's a day in, in your life, whether it's professional or personal, that you felt like it's over. Like, I can't do this anymore. It's the, it's the day when you're at the bottom. And obviously, unless that was in the last like 20 minutes, you, you were able to bounce back. You were able to come back and, and show back up and, and, keep going or start over. Do you remember what that day was for you? And on that day, what was it that helped you make the flip and, and, and show back up and grow from that into to where we are today? And there've been a lot of those moments in full disclosure. I think I have moments of self-doubt and panic at the thought that I've taken the organization as far as I can I've peaked personally in my development and that I've plateaued and my, you know, I, I tend to wake up at 3am a lot of times with those kind of thoughts when I have felt them the most, what has helped me to continue to show up is remembering. I fall back on my faith in those times that God's developed me, developing me personally. He hasn't, if, if he hasn't given up on me, I don't have to give up on me. And that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not, responsible for holding the world up. That's, that's God's job. And so anytime I'm feeling those things, it's telling me that I've shifted into the wrong seat in this vehicle. You know, I'm supposed to be a passenger and, you know, Jesus is supposed to have the wheel. I've found that leadership and ministry and even just life itself is so full of opportunities to get hurt, so full of opportunities to throw your hands up and think this is this is too much. And, and I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who are not offended on behalf of me. Because following Jesus and leadership and ministry in the church is guaranteed to bring about opportunities that could lead to offense. And the greatest offense is you know what? I can't, I, I quit. I give up. Yeah. I throw in the towel and whatever that looks like walking away from a marriage, walking away from life, walking away from a calling. So I think the blessing is when you do just continue to show up and persist through those things. So, you know, in the pain filled moments and ironically, it's not often for me, the big stuff, you know, I've, I've faced the loss of a, my daughter, Linya. Uh, we've had lots of big stuff that we've dealt with and those things, God gives you through those with peace that passes understanding. A lot of times it's those little things. So, and like Paul said, he lists his whole list of all this crappy face, but then he said, and then the other things that come upon me daily, you know, and I think sometimes it's those little things that tend to get the burrs under your saddle. Yeah. Wow. Really good. The little things that, that sometimes cripple us or, or keep us from the fullness of, of what God's called us to do. Well, you just get discouraged. You know, once you give in to that discouragement that your any failure is final and that, you know, you're now flawed, then you're not able to just continue to do what you need to do, you know, and you won't be making those positive, you know, because leadership is a lot like having, uh, you know, an investment strategy. You know, you it's no one aspect to your leadership. 
you know, your, your leadership is going to be held back by a weak marriage. It's going to be held back by poor physical health, bad rest, nutrition, not having hobbies, not having friendships, not having pour into your well of education, uh, all those things. So when you think about it, like when you get paid, you, you don't just do one thing, you know, you hopefully tithe and save and invest in 401k and put money into the, you know, the fund budget and the grocery budget and mortgage and, you know, all the things. So if you think about, you know, every month you have leadership resource and lest you run uh, an account in the red, you have to make good investments into all those different categories. And when you're discouraged, you tend to just take that money and, you know, sit on on the couch and watch Netflix or whatever. But I think it's just, just continuing to chip away at it and do develop the people under you, develop yourself, make sure you take your Sabbath day, make sure, you know, go, go, go take a walk, I'll go to the gym, all those things that if you just consistently work at those things and the, the times when you feel like at the least is when it's the most important. That's so good. That's so good. Pastor, thank you for your time today. I know that you're a world of crazy and, and you're so busy, but investing in our community means a lot to me. So thank you so much for, for taking the time. Well, Stephen, thank you for having me. I hope today's podcast was really helpful for you guys. I hope it created some lift in your life. I hope it created some value. It means the world to me when you share this podcast with others. So if you don't mind, post it on social media. Tag me, B underscore R-E-W-S-T-E-R. Let me know that you're listening. Maybe share it with a friend. Maybe play it with your team. Man, it would mean so much to me. It really would. It's special to get to do this. And it's a lot of fun to see how people are receiving it. So thanks for checking us out. We'll be back with another episode really, really soon. Oh,